a moment, I want to ask you to now turn your attention to Daniel chapter 7. It's in your bulletin. In a couple of moments, Titus Bagby and Way Rutherford, RUF campus ministers, one from Texas A&M, the other from Baylor. Baylor needs a lot of prayer. Um, they're going to read the entire chapter of Daniel 7. It's a long chapter, 28 verses. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. But as you hear this, I want you to remember that the man receiving this vision wasn't expecting the vision. And suddenly in the middle of this night, God gave him a vision which was terrifying to him. This portion of scripture is called apocalyptic. And for many people, they get to it and simply stop or speed read, or maybe they look at it and saturate themselves in it, but leave very confused. This is God's word. This is an important part of scripture. And what we can see out of this as the spirit illuminates our hearts and minds is really amazing, but it's also really wild. So listen as the word is read, asking God to prepare your hearts. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel 7. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was, a told, it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And a beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up another among them, another horn, a little horn, before which the three first horns were plucked up by their roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of, of his head was like pure wool. His throne was of fiery flames, and its wheels were burning of fire. A stream of fire issued out and came out from before him. A thousand of thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and was given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve, should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom, Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High." and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hands, into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, as we have heard this remarkable passage, this vision that you gave Daniel. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us now. Why is it here? What is here for us? How can it make a difference in our life today? How can it enlighten and encourage us? For God, it is your word. We approach it humbly with much gratitude. Feed us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have read Daniel 7 before? Raise your hand. How many of you, after reading it, said, I got it. <laughs> I know exactly what's happening here. Many people, when they get to this portion of Daniel, after having read these incredible narratives about the fiery furnace, about the fasting lions of last week, they come to these pages and are like, I don't know what to do with this. Even Martin Luther said, they have a strange 
queer way of talking, like people who instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them or see what they're getting at. He's partly right. There is strange things taking place. Some of it we probably will never understand this side of heaven, but it's God's word. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Daniel 7 is an abrupt shift from what Daniel has been about so far. The timing of it, when it takes place, and the nature of it. These narratives have been sweeping, powerful, miraculous, easy to understand, encouraging, hopeful. But now Daniel receives a vision, and this is what's changed. Daniel was the one who wasn't receiving vision. He was interpreting the dreams of others. And that interpretation was meant to go out to the world to proclaim this is who God is. And those kings would hear these things and make that proclamation. But now Daniel's the one receiving the vision. And what that means is this transition takes place. What he's now receiving from God is specifically for God's people. And he who was the interpreter is now needing interpretation. God has given him these visions. And these visions are terrifying. There are four visions in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at one over the next few weeks, one after another, then journey on into Advent, staying in the book of Daniel, which I think you will see incredible things. The way I would like to start this morning, though, is for you to imagine exiting the church today. And there are being people outside who are there to interview you and to simply ask the question, what is Daniel 7 really all about? And I would like today for you to be able to answer that question with confidence. And I would like the answer to be exactly the same from one person to the next, because it can be. When we get lost in the details, the, the strange things, the beasts, the horns, all those things, we can miss the main emphasis of the text. So using our friend David Helm, I want to share with you what he says is the point of Daniel 7. I would encourage you to write this down, or at least listen closely. The interpretation of the visions boils down to this. While ungodly and arrogant kings will continue to succeed one another on the world stage, don't be anxious and alarmed. God will see to it that his people will receive his everlasting kingdom. I'm going to read that one more time. The interpretation of the visions boils down to this. While ungodly and arrogant kings will continue to succeed one another on the world stage, don't be anxious and alarmed. God will see to it that his people will receive his everlasting kingdom. That is the essence of Daniel 7. It's the essence of the book of Daniel. It's the essence of the whole Bible. Maybe it would be easier for you to summarize it this way. To all who are in Christ, we win. 
praise God. To all who are in Christ, we win. It's not debatable. Yet, this apocalyptic literature reveals things to us that we need to see. So what I would like to do is ask the question, how am I to understand apocalyptic, biblical apocalyptic literature? And secondly, what is the purpose of the apocalyptic, particularly here in Daniel 7? First, apocalyptic literature is not something that we should skip over. When it comes time in your Bible reading plan to read through Daniel and you get to seven, you should keep reading. Or in your Bible reading plan when you get to Revelation, you, you should continue to read, even when it's hard to understand. There are things that you could be helped with by commentaries, podcasts, you know, all sorts of things. But the essence of what's most important is clear. Christ, the everlasting King, wins. Biblical apocalyptic literature is a, set, is a sort of prophecy that seeks to enlighten and encourage. So when you come to a passage like this, remember, this is God's word. It's God breathed. The purpose of it here is to enlighten you, to illuminate your mind, your heart, and to encourage you. Ian Dugan goes on to say, this sort of prophecy seeks to enlighten and encourage a people, and this is us, despised and cast off by the world with the vision of the God who will come to impose his kingdom on the wreckage and rebellion of human history. And then he says this. He does so by communicating this message through the use of wild, scary, imaginative, bizarre, and head-scratching imagery. This head-scratching imagery was terrifying to Daniel. He says so. In verse 15, Daniel says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the vision of my head alarmed me. He's had this vision of these four beasts. These four beasts are paralleling in his dream, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, which Daniel interpreted. It was centered on four kingdoms. The kingdoms were Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But in the midst of that, there was this incredible statement that Daniel interpreted. There will be a stone cut out by no human hand. That pointing to the promise of Christ being that stone. And now Daniel himself is receiving a vision. Like the four kingdoms, there are these four beasts. And whenever water is used, it's, it's meant to speak of darkness and chaos. And out of this water, these frightening images are coming up, representing these four kingdoms, the parallel text. But the one, the fourth one, Daniel says he seeks to understand more. Verse 19, I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, beast which was different from all the rest exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. See, we read this with a sterile lens. We're not the one that had this dream. Daniel, your brother, 
was terrified by what he saw. In fact, he says at the end of the chapter, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, what was the matter? What was the matter that he kept in his heart? We can see that if we understand that God's purpose in the apocalyptic is to reveal who he is, what he's doing. In fact, the word apocalypsis, where apocalypse comes from, means revelation. This revelation uses symbolism, and symbolism is not only to a thing itself, but to a deeper meaning. But that's where we can get lost. And so we come back to the essence of what's being said. And the essence of what is being said is that while ungodly and arrogant kings, one kingdom after another, one beast after another, succeed one another on the world stage, do not be anxious and alarmed. God will see to it that his people will receive his everlasting kingdom. Now we're going to see that unfold by asking this question. Why and what is happening with this apocalyptic picture here in Daniel 7? So there's three purposes of the apocalyptic. First, apocalyptic literature, biblical apocalyptic literature, is meant to alert God's people. I've already mentioned it, but Daniel was anxious and alarmed. Verse 28, greatly alarmed. Verse 19, he was frightened, he was terrified. This is important for us to remember because we so often fall asleep. So what is apocalyptic literature going to do for us? It's gonna wake us up. Wake up, wake up. We must constantly hear that shout in our hearts and minds as we read the word of God. And here's why. We so easily become consumed with the little or big circumstances of our life. Sometimes they are big, but sometimes they're very little. But if the enemy has his way, no matter what, he's going to cause us to keep our eyes fixed on self. Daniel could have done that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have done that. Brian Chappell says this, the one who's coming to preach here in early 2022 at Winter Grace, in commenting on this text, he says, we can too easily focus on our immediate circumstances an election, an economic downturn, a career disappointment, a family dispute. Now this was written well before the last 24 months. And in the face of our immediate concerns, we remove ourselves from the great purposes of God that he promises to further with our own lives. It's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to get consumed with what's going around us that we forget that as God's people, we're in this sweeping history of redemption where you and I are called to be beloved sons and daughters of the living God, to be used by him, to hold out this king to others. So the purpose of the apocalyptic is to alert God's people to wake us up. It's also meant 
to alter expectations. For many of us, we're like middle school prophets. We simply think we know what's going to happen. We make predictions and guesses all the time. Think about how much we love to think about who's going to win the national championship. Well, how are you guys doing with that? We like to make predictions about elections. We like to make predictions about revivals. There's a revival. There's a revival coming. How do you know? I don't know, but I feel it. Hope you're right. I don't know if you are or not. It goes so far as to people who say, based on what I understand about the eagle and the bear and all sorts of other things, this is when Christ is going to return. Ever since I became a Christian in 1982, I think every year I've heard someone say, this is the date. And that's the one date I circle on my calendar and know Jesus is not coming back that day. <laughs> he said, nobody knows the day or the hour. He's coming back though. That's the big narrative. He's coming back because he's an everlasting king leading an everlasting kingdom. And we need to wake up and be alert to these images that are frightening so that we can see that this is the pulling back of a curtain for us to see the transcendent. This is a reminder that there is more going on in this world than we can see. The apocalyptic alters our expectations. It was very possible for Daniel to believe that after the 70 years of exile were over for the people of God, the people of Israel, that the future would be bright for the people of God. God gave him this dream to alter that expectation. This frightening dream that woke him, that had such lived body details, such clarity revealed to him that as we talk about the people of God returning from Babylon, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. In verse 11, he says, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Verse 12 is really important. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Yes, Christ is one. But this side of heaven, we will continue to see arrogant kings, arrogant leaders, one after another in succession until Christ, until it's done. That shadow, that lingering effect of these worldly kingdoms, we feel, we could be so discouraged by. And that's why the apocalyptic wakes us up, it alerts us, but it also alters our expectations. The people of God, not just then, but now you and I, need to know that getting home from Babylon is not going to be easy. There are going to be hard times. The dominion was taken away from these kings and kingdoms, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. And now the shadow remains. It's true for us.
but apocalyptic passages also give us assurance of the ultimate victory. And you see it pressed deeply in the center of this chapter. And then at the end, look with me at verse nine. Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. Well, who is the ancient of days? It's capitalized for a reason. It's God. And Daniel is being lifted from this vision of this dark sea and the four beasts coming up into a courtroom where there is a judge. Thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. He's righteous. The hair of his head like pure wool. He's wise. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Fire means purification. It means judgment. Thousands, thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's an infinity in Daniel's mind. And the court set in judgment and the books were opened. This is awesome. Now this is what happens to the kingdoms. I looked then in verse 11 because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season in time. Those two verses are sandwiched between the introduction of the ancient of days and what comes next. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Well, who is this son of man? It could simply mean a human, but it's more. Going back to Daniel 2, the stone cut out by no human hand, the picture of Christ, the rock, busting apart all others. Now he is here presented as the son of man. 81 times in the gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. The son of man, Jesus, pictured here is the one who is the everlasting king. He is the one who by his death, his resurrection, his ascension and his reign is going to reveal to the world that his kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. In Mark 14, when the high priest is questioning Jesus, he says to Jesus just before he's handed over, are you the Christ? Here's what Jesus said. I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. 80 other times in the gospels it's mentioned. This picture that Daniel gives in this apocalyptic way, this vision he's receiving is meant to alert us. It's meant to alter our expectations and it is meant to assure us of the ultimate victory we have in Christ, enlightening us and encouraging us.
Daniel ends this section in verse 26 by saying this about the final kingdom, earthly kingdom. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. In Christ, that's us. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. What Daniel is revealing to us is that all who trust in this savior, all who trust in the ancient of days and his plan of salvation, the history of redemption, are part of a kingdom, the only kingdom that will last forever. So what is this ultimately about? While ungodly and arrogant kings will continue to succeed one another on the world stage, don't be anxious and alarmed. God will see to it that his people will receive his everlasting kingdom. In Christ, to all who are in Christ, we win. We win. Father in heaven, I will confess that too often I fix my eyes on the circumstances of my life and I forget the victory that is already mine in Christ. Father, there can be real pain, terrifying circumstances, frightening oppression, deadly oppression. And yet, Lord, for all who are in Christ, we know that you're leading us, that you're with us, that you will never forsake us. Friend, if you are here today, even in your mind by accident or only as a person willing to be with a friend. I hope that you hear the good news of hope that is being offered in Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray you trust in him. Like all who are in Christ, pray the prayer that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Pray it now. Ask God to be the Lord of your life. Tell someone you came with or one of our pastors. For all who know they're in Christ already, Lord Jesus, may you cause us to leave this day with that victory cry. And we would recognize not only are we on the winning team, it's an everlasting kingdom, but we have the privilege of making known this king to those who are yet to know. God, fill us with the joy to that end. Let that impact the way we live our lives with our money, our talents, our time, our passions. Let it be everything to us. Thank you for this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.